is good, isn't he? The Lord is so good that he created everything. And then when we messed it up, he came and died for it. And then he came into his creation to dwell within us. It's like Picasso painting something. Someone comes and ruins it, marks it up. He dies to restore it, and then he gets inside the painting to make it glorious. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? That the creator of the universe decides to come and dwell within us. As we've mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday. And we cannot overemphasize the importance of this day. We celebrate. This is literally the birthday of the church. It's when the church was born. And we get to celebrate that together. So if you would turn into your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, while you're turning there, if you don't know me, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as one of the elders and pastors here. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us. If you're online, we're so glad that you're uh, worshiping and connecting with us. As Dennis mentioned earlier, we're in the month of June. We're working through our four priorities. The priority that we're looking at today is what we felt like the Lord was calling us the elders were praying we felt like the lord said one of the priorities that we need to look at is called gifted and going for it and that priority is all about equipping the body with spiritual gifts and as dennis mentioned we already had like four spiritual gifts like just happening in the service by the way unplanned <laughs> spirit of god moving unplanned gifts just in our midst so today we're going to be looking at this priority, gifted and going for it. And we spent from September uh, through into this year looking at spiritual gifts. And they are amazing, and they are beautiful, and they are uh, spectacular, and they are worth pursuing. The Bible commands us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But I do want to say this. As awesome as spiritual gifts are, there is one greater gift. And that is, in fact, the Holy Spirit himself. Sometimes we get so locked into the gifts of the Spirit that we forget that there is a gift of the Spirit <laughs> given to us. And that's what we're looking at today. Acts chapter 2, story of the birth of the church, a fulfillment, a promise by Jesus and by the Father and by prophets throughout the Old Covenant, Old Testament. A promise is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to just look at it. The message is going to be in four parts. Number one, I want to look at just the event itself at Pentecost. Acts 2 verses 1 to 5. Then secondly, we're going to look at the reaction of the crowd because there's mixed reaction to what happens in those first five verses of Acts chapter 2. Thirdly, we're going to look at the initial explanation of Peter. How does, how does Peter stand up and explain what's going on initially? And the reason I say initially is because I'm not going to go through all of Peter's message. We're just going to go to verse 21, but he has more to say. So we're just going to look at just the initial section 
of what Peter says, and then we want to make some application, and then we're going to have some ministry time together. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go after Acts chapter 2. Father, again, we thank you for your presence here with us. good father you created us you redeemed us by your son Jesus the Christ You promise not to leave us as orphans, but you have called us sons and daughters. And then you sent your spirit, the spirit of adoption, that we would be able to cry out, Abba, Father. So we honor you. You are a giver of good gifts, and we thank you. And Jesus, we honor you. You are the hero of our lives. You created us, and then you came and redeemed us by your very life. promised I will never leave you nor forsake you and so when you ascended you sent the spirit to be another helper so Jesus we honor you and Holy Spirit you are the presence of the Father and the Son here in this place You are the comforter. You are the teacher. You are the love of the Father and the Son poured into our hearts. And we honor you and we thank you for being here. And because you're the teacher and Jesus promised that you would bring to remembrance everything that he said, I ask Holy Spirit that you will move now you will teach and instruct and encourage and comfort and ignite and heal and move freely among us. And all God's people said, Amen. The doctrine of the Trinity, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already off my notes, so we're just going to go this way. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is the most spectacular doctrine, in my opinion. Um, so I'll just read the Bible. 
um, rather than just talking. Um, John chapter 14, you saw some of these words up on the screen. I, I, I just want you to listen to the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, God, talking to the first member of the Trinity, God the Father, about the third member of the Trinity, God the Son. This is John 14. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I, that is Jesus, will ask the Father, and he, the Father, will give you another helper to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Some of you in the room feel orphaned by God, and it's a lie from the enemy. Some of you do not feel the love of the Father, and that's a lie from the enemy. I want you to know that. <laughs> Some of you, 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 you've been saying... Father, I want, I want to know your love. I want to experience you. I want to know your love. And Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I, this is Jesus, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? <laughs> Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you hear what Jesus just said? The Father and the Son will come and make their home with us. Does that blow anyone else away? That the creator of the universe is like, you know what? I want to be at home in Jamie Moore. I want to make myself at home with you. It's fantastic. It's actually mind-blowing. That's why I said about the Trinity. The Trinity is a spectacular doctrine because it teaches us that God has always existed. He's pre-eternal. He has always existed as family. Did you know that family wasn't created? Family has always been. Love wasn't created. Love has always been. Home wasn't created. Home has always been. We were created, and then we get to be home with eternal home. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And Acts chapter 2, all of these promises are yes and amen in Jesus in Acts chapter 2. So let's look at the text. Acts chapter 2. Luke writes this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place. The word Pentecost is referring to one of the three uh, annual feasts for the people of Israel. There were three feasts that were pilgrimage feasts where all males had to go to Jerusalem. I should say all males got to go to Jerusalem and to worship the Lord. Pentecost was the feast that happened 50 days, Penta, you can hear it, 50 days after Passover. So you have the Passover feast. Then 50 days later, there's another pilgrim feast. It's called Pentecost. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm doing this is because when we think about Pentecost, we're thinking about the Holy Spirit. We're thinking, sometimes people think about Pentecostalism. They'll think about different denominations. I want to make sure you understand the original experiencers of Pentecost are not thinking about Pentecostalism, and they're not thinking about the Holy Spirit. They're thinking about the Feast of Pentecost. That's why they're there in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem worshiping. Pentecost was an agricultural harvest festival of first fruits. So as, as, um, as they are reaping these first fruits, they're actually bringing it to the Lord. This is the very beginning of the harvest. They're bringing it to the Lord and offering it to the Lord. The very first fruits that come out of the ground, they're giving to the Lord to say, we honor you, God. You have blessed us with everything. We honor you, and we are giving this to you knowing that you will take care of the rest of our harvest. Does that make sense? What's happening? And everyone has gathered into Jerusalem, and it says the disciples were all together in one place. You may ask the question, why are all the disciples there in one place? I mean, it makes sense that they're all in town for the festival, but why are they all together in one place? Well, back up to chapter 1 of Acts. Look at verse 8. Jesus says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This echoes what he says in Luke chapter 24. Jesus said, but wait in the city. Stay in the city until power comes, and then you will be my witnesses. They're just doing what Jesus asked them to do, which was wait for this helper, the power of the Holy Spirit to come. Let's keep going. Verse 2. So they're in the place. They're waiting. Jesus said, stay together and wait. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. So they're sitting there. And a sound comes from heaven. And it's so interesting, even Luke is saying it was like a mighty rushing wind. Sometimes when God's doing stuff, you might say, well, it's like this, but it wasn't exactly like that. Does that make sense? Sometimes when we experience the Lord move, we're like, it was kind of like this, but it's hard to explain because it's supernatural. But what we do know is wind and fire all throughout the Old Testament are often associated with theophanies, which is the manifestation, God's appearance with people. Do you remember uh, the prophet Elijah? He he's, sees this massive wind and earthquake and storm and all of these things, and it's associated with God's presence, even though there was a still small voice that was speaking. When Moses goes to Mount Sinai, there's this cloud and wind and all this magnificent natural stuff happening. It's associated with the appearance of God. And fire is oftentimes associated with the appearance of God. You remember Moses and the burning bush. So wind... Fire, this begins to tell us, to tip us off. Okay, God is doing something. God is present, and he is doing something. Verse 4 says, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the third member of the Trinity, fully God, God the Spirit, comes and fills all of the church at once. This is the first time this has ever happened. Did you know that when God filled people in the Old, Old Testament, he only filled one at a time? Did you know that? There might be like a couple of extras that got a little bonus stuff, like Moses and then the 70 elders, right? A portion of what was given to Moses was given to the 70 elders. But in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was a zero-sum game to a certain degree. So when King Saul got the spirit, you remember this, when God decided, oh, David's going to be the new king, what happened to the spirit that was on Saul? It was taken off of Saul and given to David. Are you all remember this? So it's like zero sum. Like the spirit's on this one, one leader. This one leader is going to represent me, is going to lead, and is like, nope, not for you. Now we're giving it to David. Or we're going to give it to this judge, like Samson gets it, and then Jephthah gets it. We're going to give it to Gideon. We're going to give it to different people. That's how the spirit was poured out. People were filled with the spirit, but it was almost like one at a time. But here in Acts chapter 2, everybody gets the spirit. <laughs> it's not like you, this person, this awesome person gets it, and then all of us other junk Old Testament Israelite people, like we don't get the spirit. Like it's only the super stud. No, in the new covenant, everybody gets the spirit. The spirit comes on all of them, all at once. And it says that they were, they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Obviously, we looked at the gift of tongues itself in our series. So I'm like, I don't want to go too much into that. But you see this, and we're about to see it in a second. But I just want you to see the importance of this, the significance of this. Prior to Pentecost, one or two or a couple people get to be filled with the Spirit. After Pentecost, all followers of Jesus get the Spirit. Which is an amazing turn of offense. And it reminds me of Jesus' baptism, another Trinitarian moment. Remember Jesus is baptized? He comes up out of the water. A voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and rested on him. And then Jesus was led into the wilderness. He was tempted by the enemy. Then he came out of the wilderness temptation in the power of of the Spirit. So it's, it's fascinating. Jesus gets the Spirit and then begins to minister. Jesus dies on the cross, he's buried, he's resurrected, he ascends, and now the body of Christ, we get the Spirit. Are y'all seeing that? Jesus comes, he receives the Spirit, he receives identity from the Father, and he goes into ministry, advancing the kingdom of God. He dies on the cross, he's buried, he's resurrected, he ascends back to the Father. Then the body of Christ, followers of Jesus, we get the Spirit. And guess what the Spirit wants to do? Advance in ministry, just like he did with Jesus. Are y'all are y'all seeing it? I just want to make sure we see it. Jesus gets the Spirit, engages in ministry, he's empowered to do ministry. The body of Christ, the body of Jesus, gets the Spirit and is empowered to do ministry. 
And so we see something happening here. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? Do you remember I just said this? Why were they there? Because it's the feast. It's an annual pilgrimage. All these Jews have come and they've traveled. So let's see their reaction. Verse 6 to 13. And at this sound, which is this mighty wind and, and this fire and this speaking in other tongues, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Why? Because each one was hearing them, that is the disciples, the church, speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Can you hear a little bit of prejudice in there? Like, just a little bit of, like, backwoods Galileans? How do they know, how do they know my language? I'm from Nigeria, right? I mean, not really in this text, but you know what I'm saying. How is this backwoods Galilean speaking in my language? I know he didn't study my language. Can you see it? <laughs> it's like, what's happening here? What I'm saying is it's supernatural. There's no, there's no logical reason why that Galilean would be speaking in all of these languages. And how is it that we hear, this is verse, verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works, somebody say mighty works, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. I don't have time to do this, but there is a reversal. You, you can take time and do this your own self this week. Read Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 11. You have the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, Genesis 11. You have the Tower of Babel, where languages are confused by God because at the time, everyone spoke the same language. They wanted to build a giant ziggurat, a giant tower, so they could get to God. They wanted to be like God, and God said, uh, come on, guys, we're not doing that. So he dispersed them all and confused all their languages. So you have the table of nations. Oh, by the way, this listing of nations here, verses 9, 10, 11, some of those are in the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10. So Genesis chapter 10, table of nations, Genesis 11, the confusion of languages. Genesis 12 is Abram is called. God said, I'm going to bless you so I can bless all the what? Nations. Through, Abraham, through Abram, who becomes Abraham, you have the entire line coming, the 12 tribes of Israel. You have David, the line of Judah. You have Jesus who comes. You have the Holy Spirit who comes. And now you see all the nations have come to Jerusalem and they're all hearing in their own language the what? The mighty works of men or the mighty works of God. Are y'all seeing this? I just, I just want to pull these threads so you can see how awesome this is. Anyway, take some time. Genesis 10 and Genesis chapter 11. But the unifying factor, the unifying content, the, the, 
the content that draws multi-language, multilingual, multinational, multiracial, the content that draws them together is what? Legislation? So what reconciles multinational, multilingual, multiracial, the thing that brings them together is what? The Spirit of God speaking of the mighty works of God. Do you see it? (laughs) The Spirit is a unifying presence, which is so fascinating because the enemy has taken the things of the Spirit and made it divisive among the church. Isn't Isn't that just like the enemy? You start talking about the Holy Spirit and churches start dividing. Isn't that interesting? When we should be the most united on the very thing that unites us all, the presence of Jesus in our midst. Okay, that's another sermon. Let's keep going. Some were perplexed, and then some were mocking. So some were saying, what does this mean exactly? And others would say, well, they're filled with new wine, saying they're drunk. So what's Peter's initial explanation? This is verses 14 to 21. Here's what Peter says. By the way, last time Peter was around people, do you remember? The last time that Peter was around people not named Jesus, what was Peter doing? Does anybody? He was denying Jesus. The last time Peter was around other people. In fact, it was a servant girl. Had a fire. Peter denied Jesus. What does Peter do in verses 14 to the end of this chapter? (laughs) He declares Jesus. You have a guy who is scared and timid, becomes a spokesperson for the power of Jesus. Oh, and by the way, it happens multiple times, including chapter 5 and throughout the first half of the book of Acts. The difference between the timid Peter and the bold Peter is so obvious, isn't it? It is, in fact, the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is, in fact, what Jesus said. Wait in the city until power comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. When Peter was trying to be a witness without power, he's denying Jesus. When Peter receives power of the Holy Spirit, he becomes a powerful witness to Jesus. So let's look at what he says, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, which, by the way, is 9 a.m. So he's basically saying, listen, these folks aren't drunk. Remember, the folks were mocking, saying they're they're filled with wine. He said, these folks aren't drunk. It's 9 a.m., which is not to say you can't get drunk before 9 a.m. I'm just saying, he's saying that's ridiculous. Verse 15. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So now Peter goes back into the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2. He grabs a promise, and he brings it and, and shows it to everyone in Jerusalem. He says... This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, everybody say last days. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Somebody say prophesy. And then I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's just a third of Peter's message. Bro's got some fire on him, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Bro's not scared. Bro's not timid. Bro is bold. And it, and it gets stronger as we go. I wish I could read it all, but I'm out of time. A couple things that I want you to see. It was in God's heart to pour his spirit on all flesh. It was on God's heart to not do the zero-sum game. Only a couple people get the spirit, but the rest of y'all, you don't get the spirit. It was on God's heart that everybody would get the spirit. And he says, in the last days, so the the days before Jesus comes and makes all things right and restores everything, there is a period called the last days. It's interesting. It's not called the second to last days. You know what I'm saying? It's called the last days. Is that right? Is that what he said? And he, and he lists a bunch of, of revelatory gifts like prophecy, dreams, visions, all this revelatory stuff happening. He says, in the last days, until Jesus comes and returns and makes all things right, in the last days, these last days are going to be characterized by revelatory experiences where everyone gets the Spirit and people get to hear God for themselves. You don't have to go to Moses up on Mount Sinai to listen to God. You can actually hear God for yourself. You get to have dreams and visions. You get to prophesy, speaking the very words of God to other people. In the last days, this is what this is going to be characterized as, which, by the way, includes spiritual gifts. This is what it will look like. And again, there seems to be no discrimination. Not only does the Spirit seem to be multinational, multilingual, multiracial, the Spirit also seems to be not exclusive to one gender or the other, males or females. Not exclusive to old people or young people. Not exclusive by socioeconomic status, right? Servants or masters. But the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. And he finally says at the end of that, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every single one of us is trying to find the thing that will save us. Our entire culture is driven by what do I believe will save me? Some people think what will save me is if I'm just a really, really good person and do all the right stuff then God will look at me and be like, you know, you're not as bad as Hitler. You're good. The problem with that, of course, is where's the line between Hitler and everyone else that gets in? Y'all hear me? Where exactly is that line? Some people think to themselves, you know what? If I'm like the best dad and the best worker, 
and I'm so successful in my job and take care of everyone around me, then I'll be saved. Everyone's looking for what will save us. But the truth of the gospel is this. None of us can save ourselves. Actually, none of us can do enough good things to, for a holy God to go, yep, stamp of approval, we're good to go. You know why? Because God is absolutely holy. <laughs> He's perfect in every single way. And he calls us to be holy, perfect in every single way. It's like no evil thoughts, no evil actions, no evil desires, no brokenness. You know that hole that's in all of our hearts where we can feel something is broken and off? You know what I'm saying? Like we can feel it inside of us, like something is messed up. And then we try to fill that hole with stuff, maybe doing good works, maybe, maybe uh, substances, maybe looking at stuff on the internet. We try to fill that hole up. We're like, something is wrong. Fill it up, fill it up, fill it up. And nothing seems to work. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus has come and said, if you will come to me, I will die in your place for all of your brokenness. For all of your sin, all the things that you've done, Jesus dies on the cross in our place for those things. And then he's buried in the ground. And the wrath of God towards your sin and my sin is actually extinguished on Jesus himself. He's buried. He's raised on the third day. He says, come to me. And if we will come to Jesus by faith, we actually get to exchange his righteousness for our sin and brokenness. So that by grace through faith, a holy God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Jesus upon us. And he, here's the kicker. We get adopted into that family and then God goes, you know what? I'm going to come and put my spirit inside of them. A holy God can only dwell in a holy thing. And we are made holy not by our actions, but by the work of Jesus on the cross. Does that make sense what I'm saying? A holy God can only inhabit a holy thing or holy things. And the only thing that makes us holy, like the only reason I'm holy is not because is not because I'm preaching. The only thing that makes me holy <laughs> is the fact that Jesus was holy for me. The only thing that makes you holy, the only thing that makes you righteous, the only thing that gives the opportunity for God to put his spirit inside of you has nothing to do with your behavior. In fact, if you just kept trying to do all the right stuff, you still wouldn't be holy enough for the holy God to dwell within you. <laughs> it must be received as a gift by coming to Jesus. So how do we apply this? I'm going to invite the band to come on up. How do we apply this? First, some of you need to come and receive prayer. We're going to have prayer teams up here, here in a second as well. Some of you need to come and receive prayer. Receive forgiveness to receive Jesus today. I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to have prayer teams up here. I'm going to invite you to come. Secondly, some of you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is, a, is the gift for your life. And yes, in this particular passage, he comes in wind and in fire, and it's this magnificent show. But do you know the Spirit also came as a dove and rested on Jesus? 
The Holy Spirit comes in all different types of ways to all of us. Sometimes, some of us in the room right now, you need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You're not needing a bunch of wind and fire. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? And the Holy Spirit knows that. Some of you in the room actually do need a little fire to be lit up in your backside. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I say that lovingly. Some of us need comfort, yes. Some of us need the dove. Some of us need a, a fire lit in our backside. And some of us, might be some of you here, that you need to know the love of the Father, which is the Spirit. I mentioned that at the very beginning of the message. There's some of you here, you have not experienced the love of the Father. It is actually the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus says this, even you fathers, even though you're evil, <laughs> you're not holy like a holy God, even you fathers know how to give good gifts to your kids. So if your kid asks for bread, you're going to give him bread. You're not going to give him a stone. He says, the Heavenly Father is just this way. He's even better than you. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, He will give you the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite us all to stand. And to come to the Father and to ask Him for more of the Spirit. You say, more? What does that mean? I thought this happened in Acts 2. I thought when I came to faith in Christ, I got the Holy Spirit. Yes, you did. And yes, they did. And then in chapter 4, Peter, who was filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets filled again. Did you know that in Acts chapter 4? Peter gets filled again. <laughs> then the church is gathered in, at the end of Acts chapter 4, and the entire church gets filled again. Did you know that? There was like Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, then Peter gets filled again, then the entire church gets filled again. Then Paul comes along and says in Romans, I'm sorry, Ephesians, he said to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, to be asking regularly. Could be even daily. Could be even hourly. Holy Spirit, would you fill me again? Would you fill me again? I need boldness. I need comfort. I need a fire lit in my backside. Whatever it is, we're coming again to the Father. Saying, will you fill me afresh again? So let's pray. I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come on up. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and fill us again? We give you this time. And all God's people said, Amen.